Hello, everybody. Welcome to Meet Me in the Middle. Um, my name is Jenny Omani. I'm Annika Buckle. And I'm Lee Freiling. And today we are bringing one of our many um, extended voice memo conversations into podcast form. So a little background here, a bit of a warning or content warning. We are going to be discussing uh, nutrition within the wellness space, which does look like talking about um, dietary preferences, dieting in general, body image, weight gain, all of that sort of um, body image focused content. So if that's not something that you're game for listening to, it's upsetting, um, then maybe today's a nice day to go find some, I don't know, like a nice Instagram cat account to watch reels on. Um, cause we're going to be, uh, diving into that content over the next little bit. We're going to do a little mini series actually. And this all stems from, I don't know who started it. It might've been Yuli. It might've been me. I don't remember, but just like kind of a open, voice memo that was like, I just am not super loving the fact that I am now me personally, I'm 38 and I think things have shifted hormonally and I am no longer the size and shape that I was before. And gosh, does it feel like a lot of work to get there? And I'm not really prepared to do uh, that much work because I'm not interested in ending up with disordered eating or disordered body image. And that's kind of where the conversation started. And it was just really validating because it was the first time I'd uh, verbalized that. And it was just so well reciprocated by you two, which I mean, everything is because we really have a wonderful safe space to like blab and voice memo form to each other. Yeah, no, I think that conversation has happened in, in a whole bunch of different ways over a whole bunch of different, very long protracted, um, voice memos. I mean, it is not, it's not a new thing to hear women talk about being uncomfortable with their shape and size. It's not a new thing to hear, uh, women and, you know, people of all genders talk about, um, the fact that their body has changed over the last two years. Um, I'm sure that there's some really legitimate statistics out there around just generally speaking, people have gained weight over the pandemic. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I think the sort of key part about this is that as women who are either firmly like myself or approaching um, middle age, uh, the fact is, is that stuff like stuff changes and the messaging that's out there for us is that this is a bad thing. It is a mm-hmm. bad thing for our bodies to change. It's a bad thing to start to look even remotely close to our age. We're supposed to be constantly battling, you know, the, the ravages of, of who you actually are, really, that's the messaging, right? Like, oh, you know, Lee, you're 44. I had to think about that the other day. I was like, am I 42? <laughs> what year is it? What year is I born? Much everything over 30 for me is like, I'm 30 or 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, the messaging is just like, well, you're, you're still supposed to be trying to look like you're 29. And that is not the situation that I feel like, I want to, you know, spend a whole bunch of time and attention paying attention to, you know? Um, I mean, I can say that for myself, I, I am like solid. I've gone up a solid two sizes over since like, you know, late winter, 2020. And, um, ever since kind of, uh, you know, creating some distance between myself and the, the wellness world that I was like really, really steeped in and recognizing, you know, 
the, the sort of why it was that I felt like it was constantly a good idea for me to be on some sort of diet or, or cleanse of some sort. I never used the word diet. It was always like a cleanse or I'm just doing it this, this, or like reset. Yeah. A food Mm -hmm. reset, or Mm -hmm. I'm working with my naturopath, like right before the pandemic, you guys, I was working with my naturopath who had given me a whole bunch of testing the Dutch test, which I know Jenny oh, has strong feelings no. about. Uh, right. And <laughs> that's, that's an episode for another day. We'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, totally. Man. And I was on effectively like a, a nearly zero carb diet as a way of mm-hmm. cleaning out the terrible bacteria I supposedly had in my gut, along with a whole bunch of, um, you know, crazy supplements that I had to take at the same time. And uh, it was unbelievable what I was eating. I went to Prague with Annika. I was going to say, I remember when you were on this and it was so hard. It was such, do you know (laughs) who doesn't care about your air quotes, inability to eat carbohydrates, Europeans. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. know. They make the best carbohydrates. Correct. (laughs) The fun things that I didn't eat in Prague because I was so committed to this like eight to 12 week regimen which was apparently for my gut health, but surprisingly, I also dropped about 12 pounds. Hmm. Shocking, shocking when I just was eating like, you know, celery sticks and meat and like, uh, that was about it, you know? So uh, it's, 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 it's been a real journey to sort of unwind from this perpetual idea that something I'm eating that my body wants to eat gluten, carbs, sugar, uh, dairy, cheese, butter, whatever is somehow inherently bad and is wrecking me. And that I should be on this rotating sort of cycle of get kicking one of them out of my diet at any given time, or maybe all of them right under the guise of health, mm-hmm. but, but is I mean, it under the we, guise of health? Well, if we go back, like, uh, I mean, we were all around when eggs were bad for you. Mm-hmm. Remember eggs were bad. Mm-hmm. Now eggs are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, low fat was, was, was good. Now low fat, we know is just full of other stuff that sort of balance out. Like the calories are the same. It's just, they're coming from something else. Mm -hmm. Calories are a little tricky in the sense that like not everything's measured in a calorimeter or whatever it's called. And you know what I mean? Like there's a whole, and the more you learn about it, the more you realize it's all a little bit like, is it kind of made up what we know about the way that your body is going to process that? Yeah, right. it actually totally is because our bodies aren't calorimeters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe your body's not a calorimeter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, I think, I think it's a really interesting, you know, sort of cultural phenomenon where as, you know, like privileged white women, there's this expectation that we are constantly on some sort of awareness and shaming around the things we want to eat and somehow being good. I'm using a lot of air quotes here. Good by restricting or not allowing ourselves to eat whatever for X number of weeks, or you have a cheat meal or whatever. It's also this like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Moralization of food, right. Mm -hmm. Of food being good food, being bad food, being whatever. I can tell you that one of the best things I have done for quieting the nonstop ticker tape of like, you should be eating this. You shouldn't be eating that you're good of this. And this is bad. And then has just been following a whole bunch of like health at every size dietitians on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And there's so many, I have to say like registered dietitians. I'm sure there's, there's problems in all professions, but like for the most part, those people are out providing some pretty balanced, Mm -hmm. like 
really valuable content. Like if you're going to consume content on the internet regarding food, maybe look for someone who, I don't know, has a master's degree in it because they seem to be pretty pragmatic about it. Especially the health at every size, because I have seen a heck of a lot of dietitians doing a whole whole lot of fat phobic things that Mm -hmm. make me real squirrely. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think when we, and this is one of the things for me that has been a really big unlearning, especially over the last two years is that so much of my um, understanding around what I thought was health is actually really just internalized fat phobia. Mm. I also think it's worth pointing out that when we talk about the dietitians, there's a lot of people who say they're nutritionists and they're not actually a registered dietitian. Holistic nutrition is another bit of a dark pit of despair for misinformation and disinformation too. Mm -hmm. So your holistic nutritionist is categorically not a registered dietitian unless they've done both, which Mm -hmm. probably haven't. But yeah, no, Annika, that's such a, such a, like the as yeah, the whole fat phobia is so, uh, entrenched that -hmm. it's hard to separate out, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes. Totally. And especially when it's, you know, I'm looking at my own body and thinking, Oh, like, is this like my, my risk of diabetes is increasing my right. All of these things Mm -hmm. that we're told, if you're in a bigger body, your risk of heart disease goes up. You're going to have too much bad cholesterol, all of this stuff that what we're actually starting to see is the connection to body size is far less than we think the connection to negative health outcomes has to do with the way that the medical institution treats people in larger bodies has to do with the stress of constant dieting that people in larger bodies often do Mm -hmm. because that actually, especially the severe calorie restriction. And when I say severe calorie restriction, I have personally been on tons of, you know, food plans that have been 1200 calories a day or less, which is not enough for a person who is an adult to survive on. I think my eight-year-old eats more than that. Probably. Yeah. That's the recommended, I believe recommended caloric daily caloric intake for like a three-year-old. Right. And so over time, what we know, what science is starting to show us is the more we restrict, the more those negative health outcomes actually start to show up regardless of the size of our body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And isn't that just such a bitch, right? You're right. constantly told, go do this thing for your health. And so you do it and 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 do it. And, do it. And, do it. and the next thing, you know, lo and behold, you're, you're dealing with all these sort of ramifications. We were having a really interesting conversation at dinner the other night, um, about, um, about disordered eating, which was an interesting conversation to have. My in-laws were there. And, you know, we were just talking about how, now this is specifically with people who have got, you know, clinical, really bad, like anorexia and or bulimia, where they have restricted to the point that it affects their organs, you know, and, you know, you can have all kinds of organ failure, um, Mm -hmm. as a result of, you know, of not feeding yourself properly. And it's not just that this organ damage happens and then you sort of recover from it. Like if you are someone who suffers from really severe, you know, eating disorder, when you're in your teens, when you're in your thirties and forties, you have like the organs of someone decades older than you because of the, you know, irreparable, um, damage that's sort of been caused. I did a paper, um, over the course of my, um, master's here, uh, specifically about eating disorders and eating disorders has the highest mortality rate of any mental health disorder by a Mm -hmm. lot, like by a lot. So, you know, it's not just like, Oh, 
you know, when we're talking about like diets, like what's the harm in X, Y, Z, the harm really is, it's really there. And also, you know, the fact that we know that 95% of people who lose weight will gain it back within five years. It's also just not effective because the fact is, is that your body is not meant to restrict all this stuff all of the time mm-hmm. without like, you know, if you're like, you know, celiac, obviously you're not going to eat gluten because you are sure. genuinely it's a medical to that. diagnosis. Though. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But like restricting, like, I can't tell you how many times I was not eating gluten. Yeah. Guys, why the fuck was I not eating gluten? You know what the most delicious things have in them? Gluten. gluten. Mm-hmm. Lots of it. Lots mm-hmm. of gluten. Deliciousness in pasta and croissants and all of the things. Why was I off that shit? Because somebody told me it was bad for me and it was it was inflammatory for my body. That is the biggest catch-all. The inflammation. The inflammation thing. I also think it's really important, and you probably covered this when you're doing your paper, to really highlight that so much of disordered eating in whatever form, whether that is actually a diagnosable eating disorder or whether that looks like calorie restrictions, um, taking metabolic supplements, um, controlling food in any way, shape or form, it really boils down to control, Mm -hmm. right? When you see eating disorders in kids, I don't know the statistic, but a a large portion of them are kids who are really fighting in some way to have some control in their life. So they find something they can control. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you look at today, uh, in the world of women, predominantly I'm speaking as like a cis white female. So like, I can really only speak for me, but in the, the programming that I am taking in and the people that I'm around, a lot of that sort of control comes from, we have to do all the things that all the time, right? Like women right now, it's ridiculous, right? (laughs) We're either the amount of things, the cognitive bandwidth that we are sort of expected societally to, to carry is huge. And there's not a lot of control within that, right? There really isn't. No. So, Mm -hmm. so much of, of, of eating, there's this, there, it's just like this thing that could be controlled whether consciously or not. So I do think that when you look at the wellness world and you're looking particularly for the most part at a world where people have reasonable means and access, mm-hmm. so they can mm-hmm. have that prescriptive privilege part component. If you haven't listened to our episode, go back. Cause there's a great discussion about that. They're looking at it just, it's all means of control. And you see a lot with these programs that these coaches put out, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it involves planning your day, accounting for this setting that like, it's all very hyper scheduled. Mm -hmm. And I think you see a lot of that come in when you look at dietary supplementation, intermittent fasting, um, specific diets, a lot of it, there's regimes involved and it's Mm -hmm. very control-based. So I think a lot of that, the appealing side of that for people, if you are somebody who would love to lose weight because let's be very honest. If you polled a whole bunch of women in our age demographic, you would get more than 50% for sure would say that they'd love to drop a few pounds. Way more than 50%. Probably. I would guess upwards of 95%. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. You might even get a hundred percent if it's a, well, if people are being honest, Mm -hmm. right? So if, if, if someone presents you with this like beautifully marketed package about how you can lose weight and there's a whole lifestyle component, like you want to look like the images and all this stuff. Yeah. And then it gives you a schedule. Like people Mm -hmm. get excited by schedules, even if they're not schedule 
lovers. Do you know what I mean? But the idea of being, yeah, they're being told what to do when you're like, I can follow this. Especially when there is to your point, Jenny, so many demands already on somebody's time and bandwidth and energy. Oh, good. Here's a shopping list. Here's a meal plan. I can just plug myself into this. And it's one less thing to worry about. I also think because it's so normalized, I mean, Mm -hmm. by our age, you know, women approaching 40 and 40 and into our forties, Everyone I know has been on some sort of diet or cleanse or Mm -hmm. calorie restriction at some point. So it's very, it's super normalized. Oh, you know what? Yeah. I'd love to go to dinner, but I'm not eating carbs right now. So can we go to X instead of Y? Oh yeah, Yeah. totally in the group chat. Right. Yeah. And again, I think obviously like diagnosable conditions are one thing, but it's really I think, especially as we age easy to hide disordered eating, mm-hmm. um, in plain sight and not even realize that it's happening mm-hmm. because you're just doing a cleanse. You're just doing a detox. You're just mm-hmm. following a food plan. Well, and how many times do you go out for dinner with a friend or like my mom is terrible for this. And I've talked to her about it. My mom will come over and you can insert name whoever into this and be like, I really just need to eat a lot of veggies today because I like ate really badly yesterday. And it's like, but that's just normal dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like, that's just like, you sit down for dinner with a group of ladies, how there's always at least someone who's really digging through the menu items. Someone will make a passing comment about eating a lighter meal because it was Thanksgiving on the weekend. Like there's just, it's so interesting how, although I will say as a non-drinker, it's also equally interesting how many people very much pretend they're that there's like zero dietary concerns or calories with alcohol, which is very interesting, but it's just dialogue, right? Like if I were to say, Oh, I'm just going to stick to a salad today. I had a heavy, heavy meal last night. No one would bat an eyelash. You two would, cause you know me, but mm-hmm. nobody else. Like if I went out with a group of friends from work or wherever, zero other people would think anything of that. They'd be like, and I want to point out too, there's a little bit of a difference between because we are post Thanksgiving. And yeah. also I'm just gonna be real honest. Not only am I post Thanksgiving, which I hosted. And just so everyone knows, I'm a very good cook. I cook a lot of food <laughs> and I'm very good at it. I feel you're most, good at Thanksgiving. I feel like too. I'm very like, good at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm are, very good yeah. at stuffing, at gravy, at pies. And at you take a sauce. full family meal very seriously. Very seriously. I'm, <laughs> I'm big into food. And then the very next day was my father-in-law's birthday, where we also had a pot roast uh, Yorkshire puddings, more gravy, mashed potato, right? So like a birthday I, cake <laughs> uh, and a birthday cake. Oh my God. Anyways. <laughs> and I now live in a body that is like, I would really love to eat some fresh vegetables for a couple of days, just because I have eaten so much of the rich and the super cooked. Yeah. This is not coming from a cal, like a caloric restricted place, but more of like my body's like, I'd like something with crunch that wasn't fried. That feels like (laughs) the right kind of crunch that would go into this mouth right about now. Um, so it it is, it it does bear saying that sometimes, I mean, not all of it, you know, is, is terrible. A lot of it is terrible, but not all of it is terrible, especially if you're someone who is sort of leaning more on the intuitive eating side, we could certainly do an entire episode about intuitive eating and what that's about. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is sort of a, a little bit of a branch off of the moralization of food and whiteness. So Mm -hmm. I wish I could remember the name of the researcher. I will endeavor to find it and get it to Annika so she can put it in the show notes, but I just had to write a paper where I had to analyze a conversation that I had with some, with an indigenous classmate of mine and just talking about, uh, my culture 
um, not versus her culture, but, you know, sort of in comparison, it was a comparative culture conversation. And one of the things I dug into was the whiteness aspect of it. And in the research that I did, I found, I came across a couple of articles that talked about how a core tenet of whiteness is goodness. We Mm -hmm. very much want to see ourselves as good, good people. We do the right thing. We eat Mm -hmm. the right thing. We look the right Mm -hmm. way. Goodness, right? Mm -hmm. Which of course is a real close ally to pure and moral. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that is also an aspect of this conversation as three white ladies is this idea of, oh, I was really good today. I only <laughs> ate X, Y, Z. Oh, I was really good last night. I didn't have any of that birthday cake. Oh, I'm really good right now. I'm not putting cream in my coffee. Okay. <laughs> and so I think it's also a really important thing to discuss in terms of just sort of like the head game that we have given ourselves as a part of just like you know, nice white ladies, that Mm -hmm. part of being a nice white lady is that you're also kind of doing your part to also be constantly 10 to 20 pounds overweight, according to anybody you ever ask, and make sure that you're constantly on some level worrying about being good Mm -hmm. in terms of what it is that you are eating. And Mm -hmm. I think that this really plays into disordered eating because we have placed a value judgment on what it is that we're putting into our bodies because what's bad is to be fat. What's bad is to indulge in the delicious sinful. Like, mm-hmm. why are we calling cake sinful? Like, give me a break, <laughs> yeah, right? Because right? you're not taking care of yourself. Right. right. And so on some level, there's this like moral goodness, you know, sort of thing. And I will tell you, it is hella hard to catch because it's mm-hmm. so ingrained. It's so like insidious. It's so ubiquitous. You know what I'm saying? Like my, my mother-in-law, who's a great cook. She makes delicious food. She made an appy for our Thanksgiving meal. And she came out and she's like, these are keto and said them to everybody. Oh, and she was probably so proud of herself for doing that. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, they're going to be delicious. They're like, you know, tiny peppers stuffed with cheese. Great. I'm here for it. <laughs> right. Delicious. Yummy. And also what, what? What, it's like what keto doing? is the new gluten-free, right? It's like, oh, if yeah. you yes. can get, or plant-based, like if you You're can like, get enough buzzwords in the recipe, I then know. it's a good recipe, right? Then I it's know. a moral recipe. But meanwhile, meanwhile you're not, yummy. and <laughs> you're not it. somebody who has like a diagnosed seizure disorder, which is actually what the ketogenic <laughs> diet was created for folks. Right. Like, so, right. which is fortunate. It's actually really good that you don't like medically need a ketogenic diet. Yeah. 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 So there's all of this. And then there's the other side, which is Mm -hmm. someone like myself who has even worked with an intuitive eating coach. If you want to follow the person that I've worked with her, her name is, um, uh, Dr. Jill Murphy and she, her Instagram is food freedom, body love, and she's amazing. And she offers a ton of great counsel on intuitive eating and like body joy is sort of how she puts it. And this is the work I've been doing for, I don't know, a good couple of years at this point. And I am bigger than I was. Now, I'm not a big person. No. Like, let's be real clear about this, right? I'm hardly someone who can, like, identify as, like, a fat person or someone who really struggles in terms of that capacity. I'm still straight-sized, all of that goodness. Goodness. See? Catch that? (laughs) Terrible. There it is. But that's still a lot for me. Mm -hmm. And that still has resulted 
in me having to go and like go through my closet twice in the last mm-hmm. two years and go and buy basically all new stuff. Now I'm also in the capacity that I can do that. Right. Which mm-hmm. is like good. And also hard because what is good going down in sizes, what is bad mm-hmm. going up in sizes. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the crux of the problem. I am trying to put literally like my money where my mouth is and live and eat in an intuitively aligned way that allows me to enjoy food and make things that I like. I really like cooking. So like, this is like a fun thing for me. You know, Mm -hmm. I love eating yummy things. I don't eat like crazy. I don't overeat. It's nothing obscene. And I have a body that's gotten bigger. So what does that tell me? That tells me that the way I was eating before I was probably underfeeding myself. Okay. And that also tells me, it shows me right where all of those problematic hits are that when I go up a size and have to buy new jeans, even though I'm doing the thing that I know is good for my mental health and my physical health, all this shit from the patriarchy telling me you're old and dumpy and not beautiful and your husband won't love you anymore and he's going to leave you comes flying into my mind. Mm -hmm. And I got to really fight with it. And it's awful because the weight and that like whiteness, thinness is also all wrapped up with the fear of aging and the ageism Mm -hmm. and with the fear of living with a disability. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to get fat because I don't want to get diabetes. Like, Mm -hmm. and all of the, you know, ridiculousness of our society around that. And that somehow if somebody is that way, well, it's their fault. Cause they were bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. their punishment from God for being yeah. sinful. Yeah. Eating a slice of chocolate cake, burning down an orphanage, you know, yeah. sins. <laughs> same, same, totally same. same. And of course this doesn't, I mean, uh, we have a very good friend who is type one diabetic. He's been a type one diabetic since he was a like child. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, he's probably one of the healthiest humans I know. Like <laughs> he takes care of himself so well because he has type one diabetes and he's been living with it for over 30 years. Right. He's also he- had proper nutritional, like right. evidence-based nutritional education and care because if he's had access to it yeah. since he was diagnosed and that right. was, and his parents at the time were also hopefully in a position where they could utilize the advice they were giving. Um, and like, Honestly, is there anybody who's going to try harder than a parent who's terrified that their kid's going to die? Like, no, no. I don't think so. No, but so that's like ingrained for him. Right. But the point is, is that homeboy didn't do anything to get that. No. He was like like eight. And then all of a sudden, like fell down. His was like, fuck you. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, you know, I think, I think when people are talking about like, oh, I just don't want to get that. They're recognized. They're free. Sorry. They're failing to recognize that like shit happens. Like I have an invisible disability that I sure didn't do anything to ask for or do or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't fall down. I didn't take drugs. I didn't something. I didn't hit my head. And then all of a sudden I have nerve damage in my ear and that just is how it is. Right. Like, and even if somebody gets type two diabetes through mm -hmm. their diet, they are no less deserving of love, care, medical Mm -hmm. access, respect. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's this idea that like, there is this direct cause and effect line between what we eat and how we look Mm -hmm. and like how good we are. Mm-hmm. and our health. And mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, as we were just talking about the idea of health at every size, you, your outer body is only a reflection of the size of your body. Mm-hmm. 
the thinnest I've ever been was the unhealthiest that I ever was by Mm -hmm. a long shot, but I got lots of dates and I got lots of compliments and I got Mm -hmm. lots of social reinforcement that this was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the smallest I ever was, was I was healthy, but I was running um, like one full marathon and probably five to six half marathons a year. And I was healthy and I really enjoyed it at that phase of my life. But it's, it's also like that amount of calorie output is it's, it's a lot, right. Running is a huge calorie expense. And like, I have zero interest in training for a marathon right now. Like literally zero, the yeah. days of me losing toenails running. No, are gone. <laughs> no. And I'm and fine also, with that, but I just, yeah. I, but I know I am not, I know how much running goes into that. And that's just not a phase of like that chapter of my life is no longer there. And I still run, but I, like I said, my toenails are all firmly on my feet. Right. And I mean, people who train like that for years and years and years have lots of other health stuff that come up, like their joints give out, (laughs) you know, their knees give out, their hips give out, their backs have all kinds of problems, right? Like, like all of those are invisible and you're in a thin body. So you're healthy. Right. Is it reasonable to say, well, at least I'm thin. I had to have both my knees replaced, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously that's an extreme example. I'm being no, no, but, hyperbolic, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, is it reasonable to say to people, well, what you should be doing is that, you know, pick a marathon and go train for it for the next two years, yeah. give up all that family time, give up all that connection time, you know, mm-hmm. stop, like give up whatever else it is. I, we have another very good friend and she's, um, uh, training for a half Ironman right now. Mm-hmm. And again, she's stoked. I know Jenny <laughs> knows what I'm talking about here. And we were having a conversation at dinner and she's like, I don't want to do a full because at this point, what it would take for me to, like, what else I'd have to give up in order to do that. She's like, already, I can't wait. Like her, her, um, race is coming up. She's like, I know how many long runs, swims and bikes I have left. And mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to not having that in my brain anymore. You know, like there just comes a point where it's like, what, what's oh, the yeah. point? You know, I've recently just survived having a spouse yeah. do an Iron Man. So I, I, this is me with the biggest, most emphatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also for him, it really fueled him. It filled him up. He loved it and he will do another one. Um, because he loved it so much. So it's, I mean, there's the sacrifice in it, but oh yeah, God. But also let's just say that if you are somebody who is having body image issues, living in the same house as somebody who's training 20 hours a week for a triathlon or for anything. I will that, just say that sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sucks. It's super hard. Yeah. yeah it's super hard. It's but, super hard. but I mean, I guess the thing is, is that if the three of us were all in unison on this and there's mm-hmm. definitely a hormonal component, like there there's when I had my first baby, I was in my pre-pregnancy pants a month later when I had my second baby, it was like six months Uh, and the only reason I'm not in my pre-pregnancy pants is because thank God skinny jeans went out of style after I had my third, (laughs) but I still wouldn't fit in them. Like for, but I never had to try and stuff myself in there because I was quite happy to just adapt with the changing times and buy new pants. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say though, when I started, and this is just very much a me privileged meism, when I started following some more fashion bloggery people on Instagram, the messaging right now with the people I follow is very much like literally they say, fuck flattering. Like it's not about flattering is something you're doing for somebody else. These are fashion trends. Fashion is supposed to be fun. It's temporary. It changes all the time. It's about wearing fun things that, you know, like 
are on trend right now. And we can dissect that till the cows come home. But I do love that a lot of the mainstream messaging, at least within the fashion world that I am consuming is very much like this is a all size this. None of these trends are for certain sizes. They're for Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is kind of nice to see that. Uh, I think there is still, there's still two things. I, I love that. And there's, as somebody who now is in a plus size body, there is a real disconnect about what's actually available, Mm -hmm. depending on the size and shape of your body. Mm -hmm. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't wear X because it simply doesn't exist. Trust me. Mm -hmm. I have looked everywhere. And also I think, especially as we're aging, I personally am starting to feel this. There are things, everything right now that I see in stores is either for a 20 year old or Mm -hmm. a 60 year old. Mm -hmm. And I am not going to wear either of those things. Mm -hmm. I want a whole shirt. I want a whole shirt, just the whole shirt, (laughs) but I also need it to not be like a floral print button down. So Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I know, you know. It, in a lot of ways, I feel like, and I know that this is kind of along with all the tropes of like swimsuit shopping or like fitting mm-hmm. in your pre-pregnancy jeans, but like mm-hmm. there is this real component of just trying to put clothes on your body that mm-hmm. can be really triggering for mm-hmm. somebody who is in a body that doesn't look like it used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I get that too. I, I, I get that too. in in the respect that, I mean, I can, I can still, I mean, I was a very small person for a very long time. I was like, a, I'm not a big person. I'm like a petite human being. Are you like um, five, foot, five foot one? <laughs> well, no, I'm a little taller than that, but I mean, I was a competitive cheerleader. Five I foot two. <laughs> I like struggled to keep at a hundred pounds for a lot of my, a lot of my life. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not very big anyways. And now, I mean, yeah, I can find stuff that fits, which I'm grateful for and fits looks <laughs> real different than it used to. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me mm-hmm. tell you, it's, it's a tricky thing. You know, I'm 44, I'm back in school. I'm like feeling intellectually stronger than I have in a really long time. I'm feeling mentally health way healthier than I have probably ever you know, my relationship with my husband is really good. My relationship with my kids is really good. And yet I know that I'm supposed to feel real bad about what's happening from about the nose down over here. Okay. <laughs> do you know, I have something really, I, I have a really interesting statistic to share when you're done. Yeah, this do story. It. Tell me, no, tell me the statistic. Go. Um, in everything that you read in every study, cause I did like, uh, as I do, I went down the analytical, ana- analytical Annika rabbit hole yesterday. Perfect. Yes. Um, Every single study that you read, um, there is no difference in the body, negative body perception between women uh, who are 20 and women who are 60, mm-hmm. which again, well, that is just unfair times a million, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it comes back to you because the problem isn't actually our bodies and it's never been our bodies. No. The problem is that patriarchy. The Mm -hmm. problem is capitalism Mm -hmm. because, and I I remember be, you know, being 30 and feeling like, Oh, I don't know. My arm, not feeling great about myself. I Mm -hmm. look back on that body now. I'm like, Oh, I know what? No, but the problem is really fitting ourselves into this box that we're never, ever, ever going to fit inside. Because it keeps changing. Right. It's a moving goalpost. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And dysmorphia that goes along with it, whether like not diagnosable dysmorphia, but like just mm-hmm. generalized dysmorphia. I think that, you know, a picture of me is bad. And I look back on it five years later and I'm like, oh, my face didn't look funny in that photo. And I'm talking about, right. So it's, it's totally. just so, and I think this is, this is kind of what we're going to chat about over the next few episodes is we're going to pull some of these theme topics particularly around wellness um, and nutrition, because it's that time of year coming when this, all this goes live, we'll be leading into the holiday season and guess what the theme's going to be in January. Reset your health. New year, new you. But that's kind of where we're going to explore all these things over the next few weeks. And I actually think it's going to be quite, a lot of it's going to be quite lighthearted and fun, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because that's what we want. We don't necessarily want this like really heavy overtone to it. Although a lot of the content, I mean, it is heavy because we're talking about feelings and, and body image and all that. However, when we come at it from a neutral standpoint, there's there's like such a good amount of laughable BS with it, which I'm enjoying. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy us teasing through all of that, but also, well, also recognizing that, you know, the overarching feelings with it are kind of not the nicest. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think hopefully one of the things that's going to come from us talking about this is just, you know, hopefully giving permission to people to look at, look at, just sort of re-examine your relationship with food, re-examine your relationship with you know, your body and how you perceive it, re-examine your relationship with what you think other people think about you and how much you care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at some point, you know, at some point, like, do you, I, I keep, what I think of this is myself. Do I want to be 80 years old and still wondering if someone thinks I'm fat? <laughs> like, give me a break. I hope I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm just hoping that I'm like enjoying my grandkids and sitting in the garden and loving the sun and mm-hmm. having a yummy, I don't know, something like just living, living actually my life instead of spending all of my life worrying about whether or not my body is somehow matching up to someone else's perception of what's appropriate or acceptable. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so if I think to myself, if I don't want to feel like that at 80, why is it okay for me to feel like that now? Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. Like I've already spent enough of my life feeling that oh, way. So mm-hmm. I've already spent way more of my life feeling that way than I needed to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Than any. And, and 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 the thing is, is that like I think we'd be hard pressed to find someone listening right now who hasn't spent that much time doing mm-hmm. this exact same thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. So we're just gonna have these good chats, and hopefully you all will come along with us. Thanks so much for listening to Meet Me in the Middle. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the life to us.